0: Welcome back to another episode of Meet the Creatives. Today I am joined by Rob G.M. Pietro. Is that right? Yeah, that's the Nailed it. Nailed it. Nailed it on the first try. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Rob is a designer and writer and serves as creative lead at Google Design New York. After graduating from Yale University, he worked as a designer at Winterhouse and Pentagram before running his own studio, G.M. Pietro and Smith. He was the principal at Project Projects from 2010 to 2015. And we are here today in Google, New York. I never in a million years thought that I'd be here. So thank you for having me, man. This thank is, you
1: for coming. Yeah, I know. It's great so to have cool. you.
0: Yeah. It lives up to the hype. I had like a robot coffee machine. <laughs> I
1: know. you. We got you in a micro kitchen. It's really good. So
0: Yeah. And I like that thing with like the, the half half exposed. Yeah, like yeah. It. We have this, uh, Rob's talking about, we have this thing where some of the, the,
1: the gr- glass on our fridges are frosted so that you don't see the the junk food and the sugary sugary snacks. So it's kind of hidden from view out of sight, out of mind style. It's, it's, it's a good design solution. It's genius. I yeah. think it
0: should be implemented around the world. So that's so cool. So uh, we're here, obviously, at Google, which is a pretty awesome place. But this podcast is, to I want to bridge the gap between entry-level designers and the industry's best practitioners. That would be people like yourself. So uh, let's start from the very beginning. Even before high school, what was the, f- the first memory that you have of a creative experience? Is there anything where like you, were, like your parents, like he's an artsy kid, he's a creative kid?
1: You know, I had uh, color forms when I was a kid and I actually, I had the original MoMA set of color forms from like 53, 54 um, and I remember loving those and sort of loving like abstract composition and, and just like playing with like the primary colors and circles and shapes and things like that. Um, And then I I quickly kind of, as I got older, loved comic books um, and drew comic books. So I think I was really interested in, like, print and in kind of graphic form and storytelling and those kinds of things. And also, like, a certain degree of interactivity of, like, a union of of text and image. Um, And then I actually had an an aunt who is a graphic designer still in New York and is an independent designer. Um, And, you know, she was my dad's sister. She would come to visit us sometimes in Minneapolis and, you know, would bring all kinds of cool design things from New York City, like... Like uh, things she'd gotten at the MoMA store, uh, books that she bought or books that she designed. She talked to me about the Bauhaus when I was like 12. Wow. So I felt like I was very lucky to get like a kind of early, like almost like the design world mingled with like comic books and other things that I was just into when I was a kid. The way that like you're into like bands and things like that. Right. Um, and then I think the other thing that I would really say is like an important thing is like, um, well, two other things. One, I, uh, my dad worked for Target, and uh, Target in the '90s was uh, really coming up as like an important and influential design brand. Um, and you know, he and other folks were getting to work with people like Michael Graves, who are these incredible designers on products for people at Target, which Got is it. sort of really living up to the dream of like design for everyone or mm-hmm. you know, design that everyone can 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 get. Um, so. Uh, you know, through him and, and and sort of through my own knowledge of design software, I was able to to spend some summers interning at Target, like laying out newspaper ads and for like pe- store appearances for people coming by the stores to sign books and things like that. Um, the other thing was the Walker Art Center was was not too far from my house, and uh, the Walker you know, had an incredible kind of more avant-garde, more conceptual design department, um, making really, you know, they, yeah, they had this incredible, uh, typeface designed by Matthew Carter called Walker. That was like an early digital typeface that you could like snap on serifs and, um, re- really be super expressive with it. It was like one of the original, like vari- variable identities that the way that we think about them now. And so just in like, Going to the Walker, I would like study the things that they would produce, like all the museum guides and things like that. Uh, and even their bookstore would have things like Emma Gray, which was like a really influential design magazine in the 1990s uh, that that would include things like design essays. So like all of these things like in high school were sort of mingling together for me. And I think through Emma Gray, I really read about Michael Rock and 2x4 and Yale's design department and... Um, decided that, like you know, Yale was actually that seemed like the most interesting place to go study design as a young person. Uh, so I, I applied to go there and I was very fortunate to get, to get to do that. And so that was kind of like how that was the first like early interest in design in terms of where that came from. And then I also had like, you know, I had like a magazine with friends. I like laid out the yearbook. I continued to do that into college. Actually, I would do like, um, I had clients in college. I had like the anthropology department was a client of mine and I did posters (laughs) for their like symposium when they have like visiting anthropologists come and give talks and stuff like that. And for me, it was like. It was a way of learning about the world. It was really, I was kind of an introverted kid. And I, I think I still am something of an introvert, even though when I know what I need to say or when I know what I need to present, I can be very, very forthright. But like most of the time, I'm kind of a little bit more reserved. And I think that, uh, you know, the design kind of helped bring me out of my shell. It gave me something to talk to people about. It gave me something, ask them what they were doing and then offer to help them like design what they were doing or make it look better or something right. like that. So it really was my way of like connecting with people and socializing with people early on.
0: Yeah, I definitely, uh, I've been talking about this a lot. I talked about this with uh, Bonnie Siegler just yesterday and uh, also with Paula Cher. that moment of acceptance when you get to college or you get to, you know, design school and then you go from being like having like a rough high school where everything's like, you know, very clicky and then you go to design school and it's like, you know, it's like opening, it, it, so many possibilities can come of it because now you're surrounded by people that are just like you, so.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, it was it was very powerful for me to study art at Yale um, and to meet, uh, particularly the grad students, because a lot some of the initial classes at Yale for undergrads in design were were shared with grad students. So, right. you know, you had people going for MFA. Um, they were kind of they'd already been out working in the world and were coming back and to study design more seriously, you know. And they were really there to sort of to change you know change people's thinking about design. So they were very ambitious. They were very well studied And like, you know, heroes of mine that uh, like like Michael Rock, like Paul Elliman was another uh, designer teaching at Yale, um, you know, really became mentors very early on. Uh, you know, I think because I was there for four years instead of two years, like an MFA, I got to see people come and go. I got to see a lot of the life cycle of what it was like to train as a designer
0: along that same line of education. You've been teaching since ridiculously young. I think you said you're 23, and you were 23, yeah. Teaching college level courses? I was
1: teaching at Parsons, yeah. So I worked out of Yale. um, So it was Yale's 50th anniversary of the graphic design program. Uh, when, the year that I graduated, and they had this big kind of symposium and this big party, and uh, people like Bill and Jessica from Winterhouse came to the to it. And I asked Sheila Brettville, who was the chair of the program, if I could sit in the front row and just record, just sort of very much like what you're doing now, just right. like record what people were saying for posterity. And yeah. that actually gave me the opportunity to be in the room with with amazing people that had been through the program, to like le- meet them, to learn from them, um, and through that, th- you know, I, that's how I connected with Bill and Jessica. And I think... That winter house and the time I spent with Bill and Jessica um, at their studio was really like grad school for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I came to New York, um, I think I had a real strong sense of like, I wanted to work in a small studio, I wanted to continue um, kind of being really hands-on, being really um, active and having diversity of clients and things like that. Uh, But at the same time, as I started to do that, it was sort of right after 2001 and it was kind of a tough time to be a designer in New York. There weren't as many opportunities and I remember meeting a hero of mine. I met Abbott Miller at Pentagram. Um, And he he said to me, you know, I love talking to you about design. You're so articulate. You're really well read. You'd be a great teacher. And I had never thought of it before. And he happened to have a friend, Charles Nix at Parsons, who was the chair of the design department, communication design department. And he sent me over to talk to Charles Nix and sort of just sort of as like a go see, just like go informational meeting. And I sat there and I talked to Charles Nix and he had this stack of books on his desk and I'll never forget it. I was just like, these are the most beautiful books and I'd seen them all before. And I started talking about... You know this book is so cool because it uses this typeface and it's about this subject and that's really interesting and I didn't know that he had designed all those books so literally like he kind of like I stopped talking and he kind of had this look on his face and I thought I'd said something wrong and um in fact he was just like I'm so touched that you've thought so much about my work and like you can definitely be a student teacher here I can I can help mentor you a little bit and I took over so one section of his Typography One class, uh, and that was the first time I ever taught. So that was that was Type One. I was twenty three, teaching at Parsons, freaked out of my mind. Wow. And he would say things very casually to me, like, "Of course you've read D.B. Updike's, um, you know, type its history, form, and use." And I was like, "Yeah, totally." And then I'd like find out that was like a thousand <laughs> page, two volume book, and like have to go home and like cram it on the weekends so that yeah. I could teach the course, but. But it was really cool, and I think I think I got a, I learned a lot about teaching from him. I also learned a lot about uh, kind of about design, kind of on a fast track because I had to kind of cram it in order to teach it. The best way to learn about something is to teach it. Yeah. You know, you, you think your teachers have it all down, but often they're learning it right in time to teach it to you like or or sort of re-remembering it in a way and um, and I think I think it's been interesting to go from Parsons where I taught for like I think about eight years to RISD where I've taught almost 11 years now and there was some crossover there in the middle um, because that that was a shift from teaching undergrad to grad school Mm -hmm. Um, and I think undergrad was a really interesting group group to teach because really what they needed was kind of uh, structure. They needed to understand how the things they learned in the last class could be built on on the next class. Um, so the cumulative nature of learning. Right. And, and you know, they needed someone to like need the work to like say like, hey, you've got to get this done like in this time because it's really important that we have a pinup because I think when you're starting out, you're very energetic, but you're also full of doubt and you're you're kind of maybe often looking for reasons to sort of decide that you're not good at what you're doing or whatever. Yeah. Um, so discipline and, and that kind of like rigor was is really important in, in teaching undergrads and, and really inspiring them to be excited and want a life in design. But I think in moving to grad, um, it's a little bit different because, you know, then you're dealing with folks who've been out in the world, they're adults, you can kind of treat them as peers. Um, and then actually, I think what's really important is to co-create together. And so it's not about me having all the answers as the professor, but maybe me asking a lot of the questions and and work coming to the answers together. So a lot of my um, workshops at RISD are much more about things I want to know more about that I think my students and I can have a really useful conversation about together, you know, things like, what does it mean to sell design? And like, what is what does it mean to put, you know, put design out on a table together and look at it? Or how do you think about a content management system? And like, what is what is a content management system? How do we define it? And really, or or a circuit, like, what is what does it mean to have a circuit? Like, these kind of like fundamental forms that I think are things that designers should think more about. Um, and, you know, my grad school classes are really just like, huge deep explorations and, and kind of pin up sessions and stuff to like explore these ideas more fully. So
0: do you think that, um, you know, cause you, you went to, to Yale, you're teaching at RISD, um, you know, you were right out of school. You were with Jessica and, and her husband and, and then working for Michael. You're constantly around people that teach at the highest levels at, at the college level and are teaching design. And there's a big push now with places like, you know, uh, living.com, now LinkedIn Learning, I think it's called this yeah. this week, um, you know, Skillshare. And there's kind of this talk about the lack of significance of that brick and mortar kind of system. I don't necessarily agree, but I'm in- interested to get your take. How How is it different, like learning the technical skills online versus being in a classroom setting, being able to problem solve and, and really mentor? And do you think that design is in trouble if we disregard the importance of a of a real education.
1: Well, I mean, it's interesting. I so I've ri- in addition to teaching and thinking a lot about this as a teacher, I've written a little bit about this. I wrote an essay called "School Days," okay. uh, which was actually for the Walker Art Center's um, graphic design now and production catalog, uh, which we also <clears throat> worked on the design for that show at Project Projects. And uh, I think at the end of that essay, I kind of settled out with like the The idea that like a school is more than four walls, you know, a school is something is is a constantly evolving idea and has always been evolving. You know, there used to be that everybody was homeschooled, and you know, the idea that you would go send everyone to school together, right. you know, is is is, is not a, a relatively new idea, but is is certainly not the first idea of what a school was. Um, so I think you know I think schools evolving. I think that's really healthy for it. Um, and it's really fascinating at Google. Like I, um, I was just meeting with a designer uh, earlier this week who is showing me how he loves to like watch people do design in real time on Twitch. Uh, like he's like literally really? live streaming so cool. people doing uh, in design so instead of playing like a video game or something he's just watching them how they make a grid and how they lay stuff out and it's like incredibly it's more useful to him than having to like follow a lesson plan yeah. I mean it's one of the things I love about working here is that people come from so many different backgrounds in terms of how they learn about design and how they approach design That's but I mean a lot of younger designers that I've worked with have been like yeah I, like I came out of I, I was a musician in my early a lot of, lot of crossover between design and music um, but I think that like a lot of younger designers I know have talked about designing gaming you know and they've and they've talked about how they feel like you know laying something out is like playing a video game and they're like trying to solve a puzzle or something like that and it really that's how they stay engaged throughout the day so right. I think it's totally natural that something like Twitch would maybe evolve into like a real-time yeah. design jam you know and I think that's super awesome I mean the thing I'll say for places like RISD or Yale is that there's a tradition you know and there there's uh, you know I think the design um, one of the really important questions that I think I've asked my team to help think about with me at Google is like you know we work in a in an innovation space we're constantly innovating and and making things new you know making new features making you know pushing design in new directions um and I think sometimes what uh what the wider design sphere asks of us at google is like. That's great that you're making things new, but like how does that connect to a design tradition like how do because design is not technology, even though they're very closely aligned mm-hmm. you know design is design is something that comes out of a tradition that has a kind of that has a kind of thing that evolves about it slowly over time that does, that people can recognize design and these different things and so um I feel like you know, a lot of designers go to places like Razier Yale to connect with that tradition and to feel like they really are able to live it for a little while, to learn it from the people that kind of um have been doing it for a long time. Um and I think I think that is a lot that has a lot of value. As well as just like it's such a busy world there's we're trying to multitask all the time. Like carving out a little bit of time and having the commitment for yourself to do that work. I mean, if if you can if you can coach yourself to do it in an, in a half an hour every other day and right. kind of get your degree through that through that, I think that's amazing. You have tons more self power than I do. (laughs) But I think that like there's also there's also a part of me that feels like, you know, there is a pragmatism to just saying, you know what, I'm gonna take a year or two out of my life and I'm just gonna like focus on this and get this to be awesome. And, you know, that can be very powerful. I've seen people's whole practice transform in a short period of time. And that's the kind of stuff that makes me love being a teacher. So
0: I'm a huge fan of Google. I'm not just saying that to appease you. I really use it I use it every day. That's good to hear. People listening to this, I would imagine that a lot of them wanna work here. And for many young designers like me and, and all my friends, we all you know, want to work at Google or Facebook or Airbnb. And that's kind of like the goal is to work there, right? So let's say that you're in my position. You're, you're getting out of school, you know, trying to talk to as many people as you can, trying to network, uh, working at jobs and learning and learning new skills, but Google seems so out of reach. It seems like it's not a possibility. But you're determined, and you have the right attitude, and you want to get, to, you know, get there. What What would you do if you were in my position, and you were, you know, had like a blank slate? How do you go about doing that, and putting yourself on a path that would land you at a place like Google?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great question. Um, I mean, first of all, I think the good news is that we are growing our UX team and our design teams here, so I think there are opportunities for people that are really passionate about the things that we do. And I think it's so good to hear you say that you you're one of those people. I I think that some of the important things that you can do is that like, you know, our schools and universities are are doing a great job trying to sort of build the base skills for designers, but um, in some cases, you know, they're they're rushing to catch up to the, the this industry, which is moving super fast, right. you know? And so some things like fluency with, like, UX or user research, uh, some of these kinds of things that are really helpful to know at Google um, may not be things that you touched on at school. So I think going out – as you're already doing, we touched on education, but, like, going out and seeking out some of those skills and the communities that come with those skills. So going to meetups, just going to conferences that are just about, like – you know, watching a panel that, that's like not even about something you even know about, but just to like build a new skill, I think that could be really powerful in terms of getting getting into the conversation and thinking about it. Um, the other thing I think is that like a lot of folks come out of design school and they've made they've made a lot of books, they've made a lot of maybe maybe brand explorations, they've maybe made posters. Um, but I think a, a hiring committee at Google like looks at that stuff and sort of says, okay, but we make products, and where are the products in this portfolio? So the number one piece of advice I can give people is if people send me their portfolio and there's literally no product in it, my first question is how how would someone at Google know that I would forward this to? How would they know that you love m- thinking about product design? because like, mm-hmm. that is that you have to show that in your work. You can't. There's no way to just say I love it. You have to actually have done if
0: you're it. Applying for the design a design position totally team, yeah
1: Totally. And I mean, I think we, we have very complex and sophisticated product problems that you have to solve. So I think at least having a base level fluency with, with product design and showing that you can kind of make, make a screen that looks like something that we would believe as a, as a digital product, I think that's a really important kind of foundation for anyone that's really serious about coming here to work. Right. Um, if you're interested, careers.google.com is the place to go. I think the thing that's maybe um, your, your podcast talks a lot about graphic design. That's how I would have traditionally defined myself. Right. At Google, I'm actually a, a visual designer. Mm-hmm. So there are lots of different kinds of designers at Google. There's interaction designers. Those folks tend to have maybe some engineering or computer science background because they can think about things like logic diagrams and other right. sorts of things. Not along right. and finger finger occlusion, like when your when your thumb hides part of the interface and how that impacts your usage of the app or something like that. So they have a lot of human factors knowledge and and sort of systems knowledge and things like that. There's also there's also prototypers. Those people can actually code a little bit. There's um, developer Advocates; those are people or design advocates who go out and sort of teach people how to use our design software or our design system. I can do that. <laughs> so there you yeah. People how to
0: use Google Drive, Gmail. Like I got the whole nine yards. It's
1: pretty amazing. Yeah. So I mean, I think there's. I think it's a question of skill set, but I think that like you know the thing that designers can can really do. Motion design, I think, is another huge discipline that's growing. It's like you know, most most things on screens move, and the way that they feel alive is that they're moving. So it's nice to show some screenshots, but ultimately it's the progression and the flow of, of the design that really makes it feel immersive and that makes it feel responsive and interactive. And so um, motion designers are critical in helping us uh, establish those things. So that's one place where I know Google's always looking, is like, right. if you've got some motion design skills, like. And you're very systems-oriented, I think, particularly for our team, um, although there are lots of different creative teams at Google that do more kind of marketing or brand work and different things like that. So number one thing I would tell you to do is show interest in product. That's the most important thing. Yeah. Just show us that you're thinking about it, because that then really creates a shared terrain for the discussion to begin.
0: This kind of ties in with the question before about like they're just leaving. Um, you talk about like UX and and motion and i know for for me at, at my school and for uh many people just leaving design school um like my school for example was really focused on, um, and i'm unfortunate that that they were cuz i realized now that this is uh you know education doesn't end at college in fact it only like just begins at the end of college right
1: totally lifelong learning i'm all about it yeah yeah
0: so like uh I think that a lot of people when they graduate from my school were a little bit disappointed in the technical skills, but I left feeling good about it because I know that I left with um, you know, a great knowledge of design history and the Bauhaus and, and the fundamentals and composition and photography, and I was focused on that. But for a lot of design schools, I feel like those technical skills that would enable you to do some crazy UX work or some motion skills, I think that there's kind of a, a little bit of a a fear for many young designers. I'm sure you probably deal with this all the time. Yeah. So what would your advice be if you're like looking to get into UX, you're looking to get things in motion, and, and not just have a static website, which is what I feel like a lot of people leaving school do. That might just be from the people that I know. Yeah. But I feel like a lot of times it's very static. Like you said, it's on a book. It doesn't do that. If you're gonna venture into the world of UX, and you know it's a black hole in a way, but if you're gonna do that, what would be your advice on where to start?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, um, I think that the, the question sort of is about tools, and I think, you know, I hear this a lot from my students. Uh, I used to say it as a student sometimes, like, why don't they teach us the design tools in school? Um, but I think, I think Yale's perspective on that when I was a student was sort of like, hey, the design tools are going to change, like, five times throughout your career. Mm-hmm. So for us to spend all of this precious time in the classroom with you, teaching you these tools that are going to become extinct in a few years, maybe maybe that's not the best use of our time. I've ultimately come around to agreeing with that. You know, I think as a student, it doesn't necessarily feel like you know exactly what, you're, what you should do right when you get your first job. You might have to do a lot of like on the job learning, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, but I think it's really important to like establish those foundations to, to teach design as a mode of thinking and, uh, and, and teach techniques for how to talk about and unpack a design and look at it and socialize your point of view, um, and all those kinds of things. So so I, th- I think that's right. Um, but I think uh, in our space, in the tech space, I think, you know, playing with tools is a huge part of the fun of working at a place like Google. There's tons of new tools that are coming out all the time. There's constantly engineers writing crazy little applications to make our lives easier. Know, and and separate. you just have to have like a low fear factor, you know, mm. you just have to jump in and, and and try it. And, you know, some things will be add value, some things won't Um, but I think, I think that's, I think that's really what's most important is almost a kind of willingness to, to engage and to try in that. I think in terms of like that skill gap, um, And like, how do you get kind of, how do you jumpstart it, you know? Um, I was really surprised when I came uh, and did my interview at Google, like they were very, very interested in my process behind a website. So they weren't so much interested in the finished result. They were interested in understanding how I got to that result. And so those are things that I think a lot of designers learn in school. It's just like, how do you document your process? You know, a lot of prototyping we do, you know, I worked on the redesign of Google fonts um, that that launched last summer and yeah it's a great product um and i think you know a lot of the prototyping for that began on paper so we were just drawing low fidelity mocks uh, with a sharpie mm-hmm. drawing a mobile screen drawing a fab you know just trying to start to learn um what what and and talking through it you know talking with an engineer talking with a with a, a product manager and saying you know hey could you click this menu could this thing pop up and you're storyboarding it you know so right. I think if you could actually come and talk through a sequence of screens like that, you might not need to be a motion designer to convince someone that your ideas about product design are compelling and that you have the vocabulary and the fluency and that the skills of like using our special Google spec or sketch plugins are gonna that that those skills right. will come. Like you'll learn those skills on the job. Yeah. But what's important is is I think comfort level with the vocabulary comfort level with the concepts showing that you can have a shared dialogue with your colleagues mm-hmm. showing that you have a, an enduring interest on this that's going to be motivating for you beyond just showing up to work and doing your job right. i think those kinds of things are really what's powerful so
0: i found that like what's really valuable to your employers is is the idea and like the technical skills i feel like many young designers may have the technical skills but can't necessarily defend or can't have a hard time vocalizing you know, why the idea or even creating that idea. Yeah. When, you're cu- when you're coming up with ideas and you're looking to get motivated and get that big idea, what do you do if you feel like you're stuck? How do you go from something that you know you have a, a stack of 100 different variations of something and all these different user experiences and sketches, how do you take that all together, extract the best parts of it, and then put that into something real that people want to use?
1: Yeah. I mean, that was like a great, like, there's like five long answers in that question. So I'm going to yeah, try to tackle, I'm going to try, I'm going to try to tackle them all as many yeah. as I can think of. So I think the first, the first thing I was thinking of as you were talking was just sort of like, um, what happens when you get stuck as a designer? And I think like, th- and you know, how do you, how do you establish an idea? How do you make an argument for it? I think I think like having many ideas, particularly as a young designer, is invaluable. Like being able to iterate and not get stuck is such an important skill. And that's really like almost like an actor that forgets their lines in live performance and has to rely on kind of body language or something until they can remember the line. There's a yeah. craft to being a, a designer, and and not getting getting unstuck is part of the craft of being a designer. You know, right. uh, so maybe you just decide, hey, I'm going to really look back at all my mocks and I'm going to think about stroke weight. You know, or I'm going to go back and look at all my mocks and I'm look at tint you know, I'm I'm going to look at corner radius and I'm going to explore 17 different quarter radiuses. And in the process of doing that, you start to get unstuck, you know, yeah. so sometimes just going through those motions are really important. I think when you have like a huge stack of options and you're trying to figure out how to narrow them down, you know, I think that's where, um, you know, critique becomes really important. So right. Leadership. yeah, asking for feedback. I mean, it's, it can be very simple. It can be very formal. It can be very complex. Like it, there's lots of different ways of doing it. But I think to know as a designer that like you're in charge of the feedback that you need to to do the next step and to get unstuck if you, or or if you've taken it to a certain point and you feel that you need help taking it further, like to ask for that help and to get the answers you need. So I think a lot of designers uh, will just come and they'll pin everything up and they'll just say, what do you think? And I'm like, is is what you need what I think? Is what you need to know which buttons I like? Is what you need to know whether I like this blue or that blue? like you really want to get more specific, I think, with stakeholders in terms of directing them on what you need feedback on in order to keep the project moving. So I think critique skills go hand in hand with iteration skills. And I think those are two things that young designers really need to like know well in order to be to be successful and get to that next level is like asking for the feedback you need saying when you have enough feedback um setting clear expectations about like where is the work like is this the first draft is this the 10th draft you know when is the deadline like is do we have two more weeks to go what kind of feedback do you need like that is so valuable um and that is what's going to help you kind of design through maybe your own limitations individually and work as a team. I mean, I think people really want to help you make your ideas better. I think that's what creative I mean, creative directors hopefully brief you and and prime you and and make you start thinking along a certain vector. That's what a teacher does with an assignment. That's what a creative director does with a brief. Right. You know, you start kind of imagining what the solution could be. Um, <clears throat> I found it's incredibly valuable to move from low fidelity to high fidelity. So, I mean, even I was in a design sprint last year where we were like thinking about a new machine learning feature and it was incredibly hard to understand how this might be used or like, but you know, I saw the designers around me just like drawing on paper and like quickly kind of, pinning things up and pointing to, like, circles and saying, well, th- when you touch this thing, it would, like, totally explode and, like, things would happen. And and then they were able to take that and draw that in in InDesign white frames so just, like, suddenly the, the, the Sharpie circle becomes a real circle in InDesign and then slowly layering on more and more and more fidelity right. so that that thing actually, like, becomes a screen that you actually believe in. But it, be- it started as just sort of an instinct or a quick gesture, you know. And, yeah. and I think that's a place where paper can be really valuable because um, – yeah. Especially as a creative director, like we we kind of talked about uh, what do you need as a young designer? But I think to kind of continue that progression, I I think one thing I really learned from Michael Beirut was like as an art director, he would never like grab your mouse as a designer. He would never like kind of point to things over your shoulder or or try to do it for you and just ask you to finish the production on it. He would always sort of sit down next to you with a notebook, and he would draw in a his yeah. He would draw in his notebook what he was and narrate to you kind of what he was seeing in his mind as a, as a possible solution. And his mock, uh, the drawing was a very low fidelity thing. Like it didn't have color, it didn't have line weight, it didn't have yeah. even layout. Sometimes it was just very loose. Yeah, and I, I think I think I saw that happen time and time again. And it, it was it was <laughs> it was a really helpful process for me as a young designer. And I would say something that I adopted uh, as a creative director. So, like, whenever I would work with people at Project projects, or even here at Google, I try to not be, like, a hovering art director as much as I can, but rather sort of sit down, have a meeting, draw things together, give the designer some of those drawings, and, like, let them kind of think about and imagine and remember what their version of that is and, and then begin to kind of design from there. So I think paper can be so valuable in the design process uh, just as a, as a gentler way of steering yeah. uh, the discussion rather than sort of saying like that has to be two pixels bigger. Right. You know, it just it just becomes very di- dictatorial and I don't mm-hmm. think that that's as good as kind of being more open and, and, and suggestive in the way that you give directions. So.
0: I hope that there are design students around the world right now that are hearing this and going, crap, I don't sketch at all. Because I feel like some people like don't sketch, they just want to do it in Illustrator and I did that. I was guilty of that for so long. And having this experience here in, in New York of this tactile experience and seeing that come to life, that's so much better. So
1: Yeah, we design tons of digital projects starting on paper and I think, you know, don't feel as a designer that if it's not an in InDesign, it's not real. You know, I think yeah. I think the most important thing is to have a really, really interesting idea that's gonna be engaging and then everybody will wanna work towards the service of that idea. And right. I've seen that happen so many times at Google where someone has a really exciting idea, they don't quite know how to visualize it or right. argue for it or whatever, and then like, slowly over time they find the people to help them do that. And, they, right. and, the, and the project grows and it starts to become have more and more momentum and, and stuff like that. So, awesome.
0: I want to talk about mentors and, and what it means to be a great mentor and to have that relationship. And I'm sure that you're now providing that relationship for people that are that work for you and people that you teach, um, when you're seeking out mentorship and you want to have this tri- this path where you go in a certain way and like you know the path to Google, the path to Facebook along that way, you need to meet a lot of people. but for someone who's kind of introverted, like you said you 're introverted, how do you establish connections if, if you 're not one who's like me who just never stops talking <laughs> Um well first of all
1: having having great mentors is so such a privilege in a career and I'm so grateful to people that have been generous with their time. Um and I think I think some I can't remember who said it but someone said to me at one point like all you have to do is pay it forward, you know. And I think for me I took that really to heart and was like okay, like if someone if it is a student of mine or a young designer needs help if they reach out and they have something that I can help them with, I will try to do that, you know. Um, so I think in seeking out mentors, I think, I think the first thing is like, be humble, like know that your mentors are busy, know that they, they, they really want to give you their time. They just don't have a lot of it. Um, so just, just know that you're not, you're not asking for the, to have coffee every Tuesday. You know, you're, you're just, you're just asking for like a couple, a couple sessions with them maybe, or something like that. I think be, be specific about why you want to talk to them or why you want to be their mentor. And I, I, I always respond. Easily to people that send me specific emails, you know, like if they're like, "Hey, I'm trying to decide whether to go to grad school. Here's my pros and cons list. Like, what do you think? Why would you? Why do you think people should go to grad school?" Like, yeah. I love answering that question because it's really specific. I think if it's more like, "I need direction and I need someone to help me get direction," that's such a hard question for me to answer. Like, I don't know you. Like, you know right, what I mean. Yeah. So I think if you're seeking out a mentor, or you're seeking out just like some counseling. Like, I think that's that's another really important thing. Um, and then you know, I think I think the, the pay it forward piece is really important too. Just like you know, if if you ask for that in your career, make sure you're ready to offer that to others as you as you build your career. And I think for me, I'm at the point in my career where um, I'm really excited to be able to do more management. Um, and so that was something that, in going from Project Projects to Google, um, I think was something that I was really excited about. Was I was going to get this whole new world of knowledge that I didn't have before and couldn't access really at a small studio because it's very specific to Google. So I really wanted to keep learning and doing that lifelong learning that we were talking about. Mm-hmm. But then on the other side, I like I also felt like I did a little bit of management of Project Projects, but I didn't manage very many people. And like managing at scale is a totally different kind of thing to do, uh, and and directing a group of 20 or 30 designers rather than six designers is a really different thing to do. Um, and so I feel very fortunate to have that kind of learning experience here. And, and I'm surprised by how much it's connected to teaching, um, because managing someone is really an act of generosity. Like, you really are coaching and mentoring and saying, where do you want to go with your career? What are your goals? How can I help you get there? Where are you stuck? Um, it's 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 not about you. It's really about that person, and and trying to reinforce how their work is connected to the team's mission, um, and and really supercharging both in the process. So, um, I I personally love that. It feels very natural to me, um, and I enjoy it. But I, I think I think it's important to know that you need mentors in your career. I, I think that's a really you can't go it alone. yeah. You just can't. And and I think I think being able to you know have the camaraderie of the people that, you, that, that are your cohort of people that join the design community, right. along with uh, the kind of, the kind of uh, greater knowledge that comes out of, uh, and the wisdom that comes out of many years in design, I think the combination of those things is,
0: is really unstoppable. So thank you for today, this is awesome. What are your, do you have any big plans for the day? What are you guys building here, Google? Tell me your secrets. Uh,
1: let's see. What else am I doing today? I'm gonna like we we do a conference every year called Span, uh, which is a conversations about design and technology, and we have just kicked off our kind of sprint this this year for our, our Span conference in the fall. So I'm looking forward to seeing what the team's been working on for the last few days. Um, you better have a right. Always super fun to see like all those ideas at the very beginning and then like think about like looking back you know, six or seven months from now and being like, wow, how far we've come. Wow. I'm looking forward to that. And uh, I'm actually another kind of hero of mine, someone that actually spoke at SPAN, Paul Ford, uh, is having a, an event tonight in New York. So I'm looking forward to seeing my old friend. Yeah. That's very awesome.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for doing this. It's a lot of fun.